Daniel thinks he wants to. Okay, come on, Daniel. Isn't it good to see Daniel back from the wilds of Nebraska? Good to wow. see you, man. Yeah, good yeah. to be here. Good, good. Well, I have here a paper clip, and not just any paper clip, but this is an orange paper clip. Okay. And I'm going to give you this paper clip, and I want you to do something for me right. with that paper clip. I want you to build a computer. Build a computer? Yeah, go ahead. Build a computer. You can do it now. All right, here's the mainframe. Well, wait, 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 wait. It, here it is. It's an iMac. It's got the stand. And there's the monitor. Okay, well, the problem with that, Daniel, is I wanted you to build a computer that actually worked. Okay. This one can do some things. It can do some things. Can it work like a regular computer? No, there's no zeros or ones here. There's no so, zeros or ones here. Okay, well, why, why can't you build a computer? I don't have the resource. I don't have all the things I need. You don't have what you need, huh? No. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to know that being in Nebraska for a couple years has made Daniel smarter than he was when he left. Yep. <laughs> now, that was just a silly little opening illustration. But it illustrates what we need to talk about here this morning. Daniel, I gave him this and I told him to build something and he realized with what I had given him, he couldn't do it. He didn't have what he needed, did he? He didn't have the materials, and if he had, Daniel's pretty smart. He might have been able to put something together. He didn't have the tools, but he didn't have the resources he needed. So what's the point of this? None of us can do something we are not equipped to do. If we're not equipped, that means we don't have what we need to do something. We just can't do it. Now, I don't know about you, but most of us at one point or another in our lives feel that way, don't we? Most of us maybe feel that way every day. I can't do it. Sometimes we feel we're just not equipped for any work, for any specific tasks. Sometimes we don't feel like we're equipped for life in general. We're not equipped for the pain life brings, for the suffering. Sometimes we have a heart to minister. We feel like we're not equipped to minister. We feel as if we cannot live our Christian lives as well as we hope to. And the truth is that not all of us are equipped for just anything because we're not supposed to do just anything. For example, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, I wanted to be a pro basketball player. Now, the question is, was I really equipped to be a pro basketball player? There were just two problems with that. I was never going to be tall enough, and I was never going to have enough skill or talent. Those two little things stood between me and NBA stardom and being a millionaire who plays a game for a living. Other than that, I could have been a good pro player. Fortunately, I realized that early on I wasn't equipped to be an NBA player, and it's clear I wasn't supposed to be. Equipping is empowerment. Being equipped means you have the power or ability or resources to do something. Put more simply, I wouldn't ask somebody here in the auditorium this morning to go upstairs and paint a room without proper instruction. Where should I paint? Without giving them paint and brushes, right? I wouldn't ask them to do that job without empowering them and equipping them with what they need to do what I've asked them to do. When we look at the Word of God, we see that God asks of us or commands us to do a lot of things and Let's be honest, most of those things seem kind of impossible, don't they? God says, for example, be holy as I am holy. That easy for anybody here? 
Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. The word tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That doesn't come easily to any of us. The word tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Sometimes we just don't feel like rejoicing. The word tells us not to conform to this world. The word tells us to bless those who persecute us. Scripture tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourselves. The same passage tells us to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. With many of these things, we might have the same reaction that Daniel had in our little opening illustration. I can't. I don't know how. I don't have the mental, spiritual, or emotional tools. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the ability. I don't have the time. Bottom line is, I am not equipped to do those things. I don't have what I need. But here's the kicker, and I think this is really important as we recognize it's Pentecost Sunday. God says that as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that is a key prerequisite to what we're talking about this morning, But when we are in Christ, we do have what we need to do all that he's asked us to do. What God wants to build is his character in me. God wants to build his character in me. We innately understand how impossible that is, at least apart from Christ. But we read in 2 Peter that it isn't impossible in Christ. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there this morning because we're going to be spending most of the morning in this passage of Scripture. But if you don't have it, you can read along with me. It's on the screen. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now, really, there are about 10 different sermons in these few verses of 2 Peter chapter 1, but we're going to focus on this morning this one major idea found initially in verse 3 and then expanded on in the subsequent verses. Verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. God calls us to be godly, and then he equips us to be godly. God can and will build his character in me. He gives us the tools to be godly. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. Yes, we still struggle 
with sin. We have to learn to use the tools that he's given us to be godly. You know what? You could give me all the tools, you could give me all the materials I needed to fix my car, and it would be a total waste because I don't know how to use them. What this verse is saying, I believe, is not only has he given us the tools, he's given us the knowledge. Our job, our responsibility in all this is to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in us to use these tools and to learn how to use the tools. And this is important to note, too. We can learn. We can learn. We can grow in godliness. Notice that it says in verse 8 of this passage that these godly character qualities can be ours in what? Increasing measure. How unlike God it would be if he didn't equip us to learn what we need to learn to be godly or even to cope with life. But here, what Peter's telling us is that God has given us everything we need for life. He's given us everything we need for godliness. Let's take a closer look at what this passage tells us about God's equipping us, building his character in me. First of all, we're not talking about just any old power to do this. We're talking about what Peter says is divine power. Of course, divine means it comes from God, and it comes from God alone. It's not anything that we can develop on our own. It's not anything that we bring to the task naturally. It does not come from within us. It comes from God. It's a gift. He shares with us his divine character by putting his Holy Spirit in us to equip us with what we need for life and godliness. The word in verse 4 where it says we may participate in the divine nature is interestingly enough koinonia. We've talked about koinonia before and what that means. We can share in those godly character qualities by his grace and his power through the Holy Spirit resident in our hearts. And here we are on Pentecost Sunday and we remember the coming of the Holy Spirit and we remember the power that it came with. But what did the Holy Spirit come to do? The Holy Spirit came to equip us. It came to equip us. He came to equip us to be godly. Now that doesn't make us God, but it can make us increasingly like him in his moral goodness. The truth is we don't have the resources. We're not equipped in and of ourselves to cope with life, let alone to live godly lives. That's just something we have to recognize even when we come to Christ for salvation, don't we? Just as we have to stand before God at the moment we trust in his free gift of life through Jesus Christ, we have to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't live up to your standards. I know I can't save myself. As believers, no matter how long that we've been followers of Christ, no matter how much we've grown in him, we're still in the same state. We cannot be godly. We cannot live up to his standards in our own strength apart from Christ. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing's pretty all-encompassing, right? Just as the first verse of what we read earlier, everything is pretty all-encompassing as well. The moment we believe we can go alone and try to do this on our own, we have failed. But the good news is that once we have recognized that we do need him, we have this divine power source that we can tap into. It's a divine power source that equips and enables us to live lives, and not just lives, but godly lives before him. 
Life Application Bible puts it this way. Because we don't have the resources to be truly godly, God allows us to participate in the divine nature in order to keep us from sin and help us live for him. When we are born again, God, by his spirit, empowers us with his own moral goodness. Isn't that an amazing and awesome thing to consider? God, by his spirit, empowers us with his own moral goodness. Listen to these passages of scripture that help to illustrate this. First, beginning with John chapter 3, verse 6. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The spirit, God's Holy Spirit, gives birth to his spirit in us. And then when we read from John 14, beginning with verse 17, Jesus there is talking of the spirit of truth. And he says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus is saying here, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you ill-equipped for this life that I've called you to live. I will leave my character in you. And then verse 19 of uh, John chapter 14, Jesus says, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful promise. He is in us by his Holy Spirit. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, writing of Jesus, Paul writes here, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might what? Become, become the righteousness of God. We're born again of him, in him, by him. This power which gives us everything we need for life and godliness is his divine power. The word power here in the original language is dunamis. That's where we get our English word dynamite. It's kind of explosive, isn't it? In context, it refers to ability. It refers to abundance. Its root word means to be able. To be able. So even simply, the words divine power in this context indicate equipping, being made able, being made capable. Let's take a moment to look at this phrase, has given us or has granted us. The original language here means to bestow gratuitously, to make a gift of. In this verse, the word is used to tell us of the free giving of God's power, with the result being that we have everything we need. We're fully equipped for life and for godliness. The verb here indicates that this divine power does not give life and godliness because somebody deserves it, but because it's available to all who are in Christ It's a free gift. It's a gift of his grace. It's the same word we see used in verse 4 where Peter writes that God has given us his very great and precious promises. And again, the implication in the language is clear. These are promises of God given to believers, initiated by God himself, and therefore undeserved blessings. But they're promises nonetheless. Next in this passage... We're going to look at the words life and godliness. Now, the Greek word for life here is zoe. It can refer to physical life alone. It's used in that way 
in some places. In other words, just existence as opposed to death or non-existence. But here, what it means in context is the idea of life, the manner of life, conduct in a moral respect. And there's other passages of Scripture listed there where it's used in that way. The life of God, meaning that which God requires, a godly life. So because of the context here, it's clear that the primary meaning of life in this passage of Scripture refers to our moral or our spiritual life. However, because zoe can be used in a more general sense of meaning just life as opposed to death or non-existence, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that it can deal with some of the more mundane things of life, the things that we don't often tend to think of as spiritual, quote-unquote. Things like work, things like school, relationships, things like other activities, the circumstances of life that we sometimes find difficult to deal with. Of course, I also believe that God wouldn't have us separate life so much into the sacred and the secular as we tend to do anyway, which says to me that all aspects of our life as believers can be applied when we look at this passage. Now, godliness is an interesting word here. The Greek word has to do with devotion to God or piety toward him. Let me read an explanation from a Bible dictionary. It says, when the Greek word for godliness is applied to the Christian life, it denotes a life that is acceptable to Christ, indicating the proper attitude of the believer toward Christ who has saved him. It's both an attitude and a manner of life. It is in this manner that 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Train yourself to be godly, or some translations say, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It does not come automatically, but it's something into which we must put effort. In 1 Timothy 6.11, we are urged to follow after righteousness or godliness. Now, I think we should also not ignore the simple word through that we see in verse 3 of our passage. When Peter writes here, through our knowledge of him. And I want to tell you why I don't think we can ignore that. It's because this word indicates cause and effect. It means the channel of an act. It means of the mode, manner, state, or circumstances through which anything, as it were, passes, that is, takes place, or is produced. This is important because of what comes next, the phrase, knowledge of him. In other words, Peter tells us that God has given us everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness, and we've just taken a look at all the things, or some of the things at least, that this implies. And the way he's given us this, the means, the channel through which God has equipped us with his power is through, it's because of, it's produced by our knowledge of him. The word here for knowledge in verses 2, 3, and 8 is a stronger version of another word for knowledge that we see in Scripture. It's epignosis, not gnosis. They're both translated as knowledge, but they're two different words. One Bible dictionary helps us draw some important things from the usage of this word here. It says, it is more intensive than gnosis, another Greek word for knowledge, because it expresses a more thorough participation in the acquiring of knowledge on the part of the learner. In the New Testament, it often refers to knowledge which very powerfully influences the form of religious life, a knowledge laying claim to personal involvement. When used the way it's used in this passage, as well as all those other passages that are listed on the screen, 
It shows the relationship of the learner to the object of his knowledge. It increases spiritual blessings upon the believer and determines the manifestations of the religious life. In other words, we're not talking about just knowledge here. We're talking about full knowledge, full discernment. What he's saying here is it's knowing everything we need to know for life and godliness. Now, it's not knowing everything there is to know, okay, but everything we need to know specifically for life and godliness. And it requires here, that's the sense of this word, it requires our participation. It requires cooperation with the giver of this gift. And as this dictionary notes, it shows the relationship of the learner, the object of his knowledge. We read again in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do we get this all-important knowledge of him? Peter tells us, first of all, that it's God's divine power that's done this in us and for us. He tells us that this power has equipped us with everything we need for life and godliness. And he tells us that the conduit, in other words, the means through which we can access this divine power is our knowledge of him in Christ by his grace. Now, I don't want to imply that this is the be-all and end-all of knowing him, okay? I don't want to de-emphasize the importance of communing with God through prayer as a means of knowing him. But I think we can agree that the primary means, that's what we're talking about here, the primary means, the foremost means God has given us of knowing him, of obtaining knowledge about life and godliness, is his word. It's the word of God. How many times Peter refers to knowledge here? Let's note that. We see in verse 2, he talks about grace and peace. How? through the knowledge of God. In verse 3, he says we have everything we need for life and godliness through our what? Our knowledge of him. In verse 5, he says make every effort to add, among other things, knowledge. And then in verse 8, he says if we possess these godly character qualities, it keeps us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of him. I don't know about you, when I see ineffective and unproductive, I think of just the opposite, because that's what he's telling us. That means in him, through our knowledge of him, we can be effective and productive as godly believers in Christ. In other words, we apply that knowledge in our lives. And God's grace uses that knowledge to produce his character in me. I think we can even say that our experience of him with our senses and in our prayer is or should be guided by and enhanced by, it should be driven by, it should be confirmed by the Word of God. Absolutely. Now think about what that means here in the context of the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1, especially verse 3. His divine power gives us what we need. It gives us everything. It fully equips us with everything we need for life and with all we need for godliness. And the primary way that we are equipped to live this godly life is by his grace and power through our knowledge of him. And our knowledge of him is primarily revealed through his word. Now think about this. If we believe that, anybody here believe that? If we believe that, if we really want to be equipped to deal with all of life, 
if we really want to have the power to live as godly, God-honoring, Christ-like believers in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, how can we get there? How can we avail ourselves of this equipping? How can we have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through what he's given us by his divine power? This passage says he's given us, past tense, he's given us what we need. So if we say, I can't do it, I don't know how, I'm not equipped, we're calling God a liar. We're calling him a liar because here it is, the precious word of God, the precious word of God. We have it, don't we? We have it. The primary means of obtaining our knowledge of him, it sits on our shelves. It sits there while we play games on Facebook. It sits there while we watch television. It sits there while we do anything but plug in to the source of this power, the source of our equipping. Could this be what Peter is talking about when he writes in verse 5, make every effort? Could it be referring to this idea that we don't make every effort? Now, as we explored at the beginning of this morning's message, how foolish it would be for me to ask someone to build something or to go upstairs and paint without giving them the tools to do it, without giving them any instructions. It was just as foolish for me to give this paper clip to Daniel and ask him to build a computer from it, right? Now, the opposite of that is what we face when we look at this passage of Scripture. It's as if somebody, as if so, I gave somebody the paintbrushes. I gave them more than enough paint. I sent them to a three-day training school on how to paint walls and how to do it well. And they even came home from that school with a manual which reminded them of all the things that they were supposed to have learned in wall painting school. And after that, what would you think of the person that I asked to paint if that person said, I can't. I don't have the tools. I don't know how. I don't have what I need. What would you think? You'd want to say to that person, sure you do. Sure you do. I've given it to you. There's the paint. There's the brush. There's your manual that they gave you from that fancy painting school that I paid big bucks to send you to. Just use what I've given you. Make every effort. I think that's why Peter continues in this passage after he tells us all these things, after he recognizes that all these things are a gift from God. In other words, we can't earn it. This is a gift, right? After recognizing that we are fully equipped, not just fully equipped, but fully equipped with God's power and his character in us. After noting that we can actually, because of what God has given, in a very real sense, participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. After pointing out all these things, okay, Peter writes from verse 5 to 9, he says, for this very reason, in other words, all those things I've already told you, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind. I don't think that's a compliment, do you? 
He's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So if I may be so bold as to paraphrase to help us understand this better, what Peter says here is use what God has given you. Use what God has given you. Cooperate with him. God has acted. God has given you what you need. And now you must cooperate. Get with the program. Get with his program. If you don't, Peter tells us, you're nearsighted and you're blind. And you've forgotten what God has done for you. We cannot forget ever what God has done for us. Every Sunday morning, we mark the Lord's Supper, don't we? That's what God's done for us. That's where it all started. And this morning, as we remember that very first Pentecost, when he sent the Holy Spirit in a very special way to live inside us and to equip us, even as we're talking about this morning. We can't forget that he's done that. These are historical facts. They've happened, right? We can't forget to appropriate God's grace. And he might add, if you're chewing on this person who said, I can't paint because I don't know how to and I'm not equipped and you know that you've already done that, you're foolish for not using what God's already given. He's given us his word. He's given us his word. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. One Bible dictionary says that because the sense of these words is translated uh, thoroughly equipped, the sense of them is causal. In other words, it means that God is the one who equips. He makes perfect. God causes this equipping. Because of that, this uh, Bible dictionary says that we could translate this verse like this, that the man of God may be competent because he has been equipped, outfitted, or furnished by God to be competent. That's us, guys. That's us. That's all of us in Christ. That's all of us who are in Christ here this morning. The word of God is just that. It's his inspired word. It's his message. It's his equipping for our lives. It's his equipping for godliness. We must apply it to our lives to take advantage of that equipping. We must read it. We must know it. We must study it. We must memorize it. God has revealed what is true right here in his precious word to us. Life Application Bible notes that in our zeal for the truth of Scripture, we must never forget one of its primary purposes, to equip us to do good. We should not study God's Word simply to increase our knowledge or to prepare us to win arguments. We should study the Bible so that we will know how to do God's, Christ's work in the world. Our knowledge of God's Word is not useful unless it strengthens our faith and leads us to do good. In other words... What good is it for us to be equipped with all this power, with the very character of God in me, if we don't use it? Amen? Some of us this morning are thinking, you know, that's me. I've, I just feel like I can't do anything. I just feel like I'm just not equipped. I just feel like I need this equipping. I need these things that the Bible says that we have, that God's given us for life and godliness. It may be because of a difficult circumstance. It may be because of a task that you're finding challenging to do. It may be because maybe God's called you to do something and just you don't know how you're going to get there. It may be because any of these things. If that fits you or maybe something I didn't mention, 
if it's you this morning and you want me to pray as we close this morning, please stand and let's pray together about God's building his character in me. Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the things that you've already done. We're grateful for the historical fact of the death of Jesus, the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, the sending of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to equip us, to enable us to live fruitful lives, Lord, godly lives. We're grateful for that, Father. We're grateful that you've already done these things, that you've equipped us, that you've sent us to school and you've given us this wonderful manual, Lord, that we can uh, study and know better to help us know you, Lord God. We're grateful for these things, Lord. And as we face things in our lives and we feel totally incompetent for these things, Lord, we feel like we just cannot do it. Father, we realize that we can in you. Father, we know that there are things we are called to, that we're equipped to do. We also know that there's things that we're not called to and we're not equipped to. But what we are equipped for, according to Peter, is we are equipped for life, moral goodness. We are equipped for godliness, Lord, piety towards you. And we're grateful for this equipping, Father. We want to thank you for that equipping, Lord, and we want you, by your Holy Spirit, to enable us to access and appropriate that equipping on a daily basis in our lives. Father, may your Spirit move in us. May your Word, Father, bring conviction. Father, bring to us this idea that it's through knowledge of you that's provided in your word, Lord, that we can be equipped, Lord. Help us not to neglect your word, knowing that your word can thoroughly equip us for every good work. And Lord, we don't want to be ineffective. We don't want to be unproductive. Lord, we want to be effective believers. We want to be productive believers. We want to be fruitful believers, followers of you. So we commit this to you, Father, and trust you by your grace, because of your mercy, to do these things in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.